Well, welcome to our discussion. Uh, we had a really nice, um, really nice time this morning with uh, going through the liturgy and learning a new song. You guys like the song? Good. Okay, cool. Um, and uh, talked a lot about Shalom, the prayer Shalom. The, was, it, was that the 19th prayer? I think that was the 19th prayer in the Amidah. Um, and something interesting there, we're talking about the light of God's face, by the light of your face, um, which actually has kind of a, a mention in here in, in 6 when Stephen is seen to have the face of an angel, which I think might also be related to that discussion. Like he had the light of God's face uh, when, they, when they looked at him um, there at the last, the last verse of chapter 6. So uh, let's go ahead and, and pray real quick, and then we're going to have Paul teach us a little bit about some Hebrew and the um, uh, Greek here. This is usually what they do in their home fellowship, and, and we ran out of time this morning before the teaching, so I thought, well, this is related to what we're going to talk about anyway, so let's go ahead and do that. So, so I'll hand it over to him in here in a sec. So let's go ahead and pray, and, uh, and then we'll get going. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for your Shabbat. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us the, the ability to comprehend aspects of you as we d- dig into your word together that we combine all of, our, all of our minds, all of our thinking, all of our hearts, all of the spirit that you have placed within us. We combine them together uh, on this day to be closer to you, to understand you more, uh, to, be, uh, to be more light, to be a brighter light together. So we thank you for today. And I pray a blessing on our discussion here in this room and discussions that will be happening in the other home fellowships around the area that this would all be a blessing to us and that we will be, uh, if only a little bit, transformed in our understanding so that we can be better people in your world. Thank you, and in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. All right, Paul. So I'll try to stay out of the shot here as much as possible. Oh, perfect. There you go. Oh, yeah, my phone's in there, so... Oh. Move it down a little bit more. Hey, good morning, guys. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Um, so, yeah, I try not to be in the shot too much. Um, so, uh, welcome. Um, for those of you who are not part of our group normally, um, what we like to do uh, with our group is um, we'll look at the scripture that we're covering for the week. Um, and this week it was Acts 6. And then we'll pick out a word or a phrase that um, is interesting or notable. Um, And we'll look at it in the Greek, try and explain it in the Greek. And then we'll try and find its equivalent in the Septuagint, which uh, would be the interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures um, into Greek. And so to get more of a full picture of of what it is that we're talking about. Um, So this week... uh, it was from Acts 6-2, um, and specifically, can anyone, does anyone mind reading Acts 6-2? Kind of putting you on the spot, but. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So the twelve summoned a congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve the table. Yeah, Good. Um, thank you very much. So 
What I kind of wanted to focus on was serving the tables. Um, and it actually does say serving the tables there in, in Greek. Um, and the word for serve, which I kind of thought would be apropos talking about servants this week, um, which is what Acts 6 is about, is, is this word here in Greek. Um, and I'm not like an expert in Greek or anything, but it's interesting going back and looking at the, these words. So this is, this is what it looks like in Greek, and my Greek isn't great. So uh, pardon me on that. But um, is anyone familiar with Greek at all? Or is it just Greek, right? Uh, okay. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. So uh, the Greek here, this is what it literally, this is the word. So the Greek is uh, diakoneo, diakoneo, um, and diakonos, I think, is its root form, but here it's used as diakoneo, um, and it means to serve, to wait upon, but when you kind of get more into the spiritual application of it, um, it's a maturity, it's a level of maturity, and you're capable of spiritual leadership, so I'll write that in, spiritual leadership, and we'll talk... It'll make more sense why that is as we as we talk about the um, Hebrew. Sorry about that. I lost uh, the mic. Um, so uh, it's this word is also mentioned in Matthew twenty twenty eight. It says the Son of Man came to minister. Minister is another application for this, um, and he gave his life. Right. So that was that's the ultimate version of a servant. Right. It, there's no greater love than this than someone die for his friends, right? So that's the highest level, if you will, of servanthood. Um, so you're interested in serving others' needs, uh, and you, you're ministering unto them. So an interesting thing, when I went back and I tried to find this in the Hebrew Scriptures, um, the word is here, in the, this is here in Hebrew. The first mention is from Genesis 39.4. Genesis 39.4 is talking about Joseph, and he's serving in Potiphar's house. Um, and it says, well, does anyone want to read that? Um, Genesis 39.4. Do a sword drill here. And tell those who are watching to have some memory. Okay, yeah, if, if, if you're watching as well, um, maybe if you want to read Genesis 39.4 as a group. It'd be helpful. Yeah, go ahead. Joseph found favor with his master and because and became his personal assistant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. Thank you. Yeah. So your what it, it was an assistant? Is that what it used there? Personal assistant. Because in other versions it says servant or yeah. So um, good. Thank you. So for. For those of you that want to try the Hebrew, uh, I put a couple, I put the vowels in, and I'm actually missing a point here. <laughs> we went over Sheen last week, um, so I should have, should have remembered to put that in. But um, anyways, so the first letter here, just, for, just to do a little review of Hebrew, what would that be? It's a Sheen, actually. It's not a Sheen, it's a Sheen, so that's the S-H. And then the middle letter? 
is a resh. Good. We have a R. And then the last letter is a tav. Very good. So how would we say this word? Sharat. Sharat. Very good. So sharat um, means to minister or serve. Um, and those are kind of like the surface, high level, surface level of the word. Um, however, when you look at uh, each letter, because each letter also has a meaning in Hebrew, um, it means, so a sheen is, is teeth, um, which can mean to destroy, where you get ash. Ash is fire, and fire destroys, right? Um, but sheen also can mean steadfast or faithful. Um, so if we, if we apply that here, so we have someone who is steadfast or faithful. How about the uh, resh? Does anyone remember what the resh is? I'm going to lose this again. Put that behind me. Um, anybody remember the rosh? The head. the head, yes. The head or the leader. I wish this was a little taller, but it's okay. Okay, and then the tav. Anybody remember what the tav was? What's it represent? It's a it's a cross, which is the, it's the last letter. It's a it's a covenant, right? So if you look at it, a servant is someone who is faithful or steadfast to the head or to the leader of the covenant. So when you kind of put it together, you're like, wow, okay, that's, that's not surface level anymore, right? It's not just a minister, it's not just a serve. So what I thought was interesting was Potiphar, so Joseph was in charge, right, of all of Potiphar, um, all of his possessions, all of his, his servants and so forth, um, and everything that he owned, but he was still a servant in the same way that Yeshua, he owns everything, right? He's the Word. He created everything and is in everything. But he also came to serve in the same way. So when they were picking these, these men to serve, it was, no, it was no light matter. And I think that's why Acts 6 makes such a big deal out of like picking a servant. It's not, it's not a light matter. So, um, And then... I think that was pretty much, I, I guess, kind of to sum it up, like, I think we should be willing to have the same position. We're ready to serve, um, knowing that the estate, right, um, is, is ours, but also having the attitude of, I think what we went over last week, which is what's, what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. That's the righteous outlook on, on things. So that was really helpful last week. But, yeah, that's all I had, so. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for letting me share. I get this out of here before without <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Thank you, Paul. I had him do this not only because we ran out of time uh, during prayers, but because uh, this is one. Of, this is the new term I want to share with with the congregation uh, today. Um, so I'm going to skip over some of the uh, um, review from last week, 
and just jump, jump right in then. But before I do that, Brandon, will you set my timer for me, please? Set it to 30 minutes. Turn it around. Spin that around. Oops, I'm going to go this way. Whoa. There we go. Okay, 30 minutes. It's going to beep, and you'll all know that I need to stop. <laughs> okay. Um, so the new terminology today is where we, where we get the word deacon, and that's diaconeo or diakonos. The, the, the root is diakonos. Diakoneo is, where we, is what we see uh, the Greek tense in Acts 6.2, but what we see a little later in 6... Uh, four is another instance of the word in a different tense, diakonia. Does anyone, can anyone guess what that is in the English there? So look at uh, verse four. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Which, which word there in the English? Ministry, just like Paul was saying ministry, right? So we see here, like, like he, the point he was making is there are no small tasks, right? In, in the theater world, I did a lot of musical theater, I know, I know, hard to believe, when I was in high school and college, and there was always this, this phrase, there's no small roles, only small actors, right? So every role is important in the story you're telling, everything, especially if it's a good play or a good story, everything is intentional, right? And so we can think of every role that we play within the community as as important as the next, right? So here we see right off the bat where the author is, is comparing these two ways in which they are servant, a diaconeo of tables or food or a diaconia of the word. They're both doing the same kind of thing. The how or the what is what changes, right? One is serving people. One is... One is uh, like the sharat, or in the synagogue context, there's the chazan. We see that word in the, in the prayer book. Chazan means servant. That's someone who serves the prayers, who, who delivers and provides the prayers. Um, the shamash is someone who in the synagogue or in the temple was the person who was going around making sure things were lit, making sure this was taken care of, doors were unlocked, just like we were having... Mike, you did some of that this morning when you first got here. You were a shamash this morning. You were a servant. You were a deacon in that way. Uh, so there's the, the shamash, the um, chazan. But then in more communal or community ways, there is something known as the parnas or the parnasim. This is, I believe, um, and I didn't come to this my own understanding, but, but I, I have discovered and learned that this is what these seven deacons were for. These are the parnasim. These are the men who are doing the business of community. They're the ones who are delivering the food. They're the ones who are probably taking over the distribution of the funds to people who needed it. They were taking care of the business of things, serving in that way, being deacons in that way. And deacon, of course, meaning executing executing the will of those who they're under authority, right? So they're doing, they're doing a task that they were set to do. That's the simplest term for that. They're doing those kind of things so that the apostles can be about the business or the, the service of the word and of prayer. Yes, Brandon. Um, back in the day, but you know, 
elders? Yeah. And also, uh, was it a board of elders? Or? There was governing elders yeah. and shepherding elders, right? And it was the, they were following this model, right? There was some things that, that the governing elders needed to be able to do to do the business of governing a community. And they separated out from that shepherding things, which was prayer for the community. Primarily, it was prayer for the community, being in contact with people in the community. So they recognize, like, oh, this is a thing we can do. And it is not lesser than. It is just um, extracting out certain functions of a community into other men who are equally qualified, right? Equally qualified. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Okay, so that's the word. Deacon, diakonos, diakoneo, diakonia, and all the Hebrew words that, that, that it, it is derived from, uh, shamash, chazan, Parnas, all those things. Okay, so let's open our Bibles to Acts 6. That took five minutes. Good, okay, all right, 25 minutes I have. Here we go. So previously, um, we read about Ananias and Sapphira. That was a problem that arose from within the community. Uh, And here we have another internal issue, though not as severe, uh, but still was important enough to include. Because if you look at the face of this, why was this included? This was about waiting tables, at least as as far as the English uh, presents it. It, It's easy to have just glossed over this because of the language that was selected to to be used here as a translation. We don't want to serve tables. We're going to be working on uh, the ministry of the word and pick these seven men. And then one of the seven men does these amazing things. So it's it's this weird, it's kind of a weird story, but... If, you, if we dig down into it, we'll see why. Okay, 6-1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic or Greek-speaking Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Newsflash, people don't get along. Right? People don't get along. No matter what the size of your group is, even in your family unit. Andy, do you and your wife get along 100% all the time? <laughs> Be careful how you answer this, right? Yeah. No, of course not. Right. No, of course not. Add to that children who are in the house with you. And how, how much does the disagreement or complaints arisen multiply by a factor of however many kids you have, however many people are added to this group, right? Add it to an extended family, add it to friends. Like, as you grow, as you grow, you've got to deal with this. So that's why this, what this is, this is an example of a problems of community growth. This is what happens when you grow, right? Some of the community were looking down on others in the community because they were a little different, Right? The Hellenistic Jews were Jews who were coming in from the Greek world, who were Jewish, fully Jewish. They were not culturally Greek. They were culturally Jewish, but they spoke Greek and had their Greek names and maybe preferred to go by them for whatever reason. So they were a little different, but it was enough that the native Hebrews, not necessarily people, Jews who were living in Jerusalem, but still came from without, outside of Jerusalem in, who were culturally Jewish, everything Jewish, 
they, there was something different. So there, there was these fractures starting within the community, and this was evidence of, one of, of that, right? The widows of the Hellenistic Jews in that community were being neglected. That's a problem, and it was, it was, it was dealt with. So verse 2, so the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, which is an unfortunate um, an unfortunate diminishment of what they're actually saying here. It's not just waiting tables, right? It involves that physical action, but it is no less important than what they're doing. So this is uh, what Grant said in his old Acts teaching on, on, on 6. This is what we would call the tyranny of the urgent. There is, or there are things that need attending that have to be done, that distract from the things you were called to do. How often do we fill our days with not the things we have to do, but the things that still need done that we would rather do? Is that a common problem? Yeah. Yeah. I can certainly relate to that. (laughs) And I get called out on it often that I'm doing tasks that still need to be done, but really could be done by a diakonos, a shamash, a chazan, a parnas, something. All the immediate needs that pull us away from spiritual work. The spiritual work is something God has given men to do. We must step up and do it, men. We must step up and do it. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3, and uh, we're going to review the qualifications of elders and of deacons. All right, 1 Timothy 3. Before we do that, I want to ask the kids. Kids? Do you always do the things you're supposed to do? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. What would you rather do? What was that? You'd rather do what you want to do, right? Yes, this is, so, so we know that this is something that, that stems from childhood, <laughs> right? You would rather play which at your age is actually important for you to do. It's good for you to play. But when mommy and daddy tell you to do something, it's even harder to do then, right? Because you know you have to. Right? Yeah, you're nodding your head. Okay. All right, 1 Timothy 3. Uh, let's see. Yep, starting in the first verse. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the assembly of God? And... 
not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And, we must have, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the congregation so that he will not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. Okay, that was overseers. Those are elders. Going on to deacons, diakonos, parnas, shamash, chazan, all those things. Deacons likewise must be, likewise, so likewise, must be men of dignity, not insincere, not prone to drink much wine, not greedy for money. So these are things that are repeats, repeats from the qualification of overseers. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, these men must also first be tested, then have them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So here's a lot of the same language from the qualification of elders. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Uh, Is this saying that women can serve as deacons? Well, the next verse says deacons must be husbands of one wife, which women, of course, cannot do. But this is included in here because I would presume that in some communities, if there aren't qualified men to do the work of a deacon, it's got to get done. Somebody's got to do it. So that would fall to women to do. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. Again, similar to the overseers. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Messiah Yeshua. And then jumping down to 15, uh, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one should act in the household of God, which is the assembly of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Our communities, this messianic community, Beth Takun, we must understand is the pillar and support of the truth in the world. It is an important calling. It's an important function we serve in God's kingdom. And we need good men, good people, in order to do all the very important tasks ahead of us as a community. Whether it's teaching or whether it's someone, uh, Neil, who's been really great at getting us better internet. He did it with excellence, right? And that is praiseworthy. Um, Paul, who just gave us a little demonstration or teaching on the, the Greek and Hebrew, he did it with excellence. That is praiseworthy. Someone who sets up the ice in the water, in the kitchen, or in the, in, the, in, the, in the gymnasium. They did it with excellence. That's praiseworthy. These are things that we need to understand are all important to the functioning of a good and healthy community. So we see, again, here, the qualifications are nearly identical between elders and deacons. Some men, though, have a gifting toward the more spiritual things. Yes? I know you were saying that that might be, you know, if there wasn't a man that was qualified in the community, but do you mm-hmm. think it could also be um, basically like there is also requirements for the deacon's wife? Like when looking at a man to see if he's qualified, mm. it's also if is his wife qualified for yeah. like, like him? Yeah, absolutely. Like, can you have a godly man, but the wife struggles like is a malicious gossip? You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think so. His question is uh, in this. And these verses here about, or this verse here about women, could that be uh, denoting the requirements of the wife of a deacon? Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. I would say absolutely. And it also says, likewise, be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. That means that deacons need to be that too, yeah. right? Also, for both elder and deacon, it says he has to be a good manager of his home. Not that a wife is something to be managed. Heaven forbid I say that. But, but it, uh, the, the, the character of a wife is is the byproduct or the evidence of how good a husband the man is. Absolutely 100%. And you can, you can tell, if you meet a husband and wife, you can tell how, how strong of a man he is by the character of his wife. You've seen that, have you not? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, so excellent points. Thank you. Okay, moving on. Therefore, as uh, verse 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven good men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Someone can be full of the spirit and not have wisdom. Wisdom is not one of the fruit of the spirit. We, can, we are given the spirit, but, and the spirit may be dwell in us. But we can still be fools, can we not? Right? The Spirit is a gift. Wisdom comes from a lifetime of searching for it. You can pray for wisdom, but it's not part and parcel of receiving the Spirit. Nor is it a fruit of walking by the Spirit. So that's why this is necessary to have said he has the Spirit and wisdom. Yes? I'll give the, the metaphor that I gave earlier this week. Yeah. So spirit, um, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding can be explained with this picture, this scene, right? So you're standing, you're standing at the door of a room that you have to go through, but it's completely pitch black. You, you, you can't see it at all, but you have to get to the other side of this, of this place. Maybe it's a, a landscape. And there's no light. You can't see anything, but you have to go through this landscape. Wisdom is inspiration, and it is a flash. So in this picture, it is a flash of light that gives you, you see the whole picture, but then it's gone. Wisdom helps you see how everything should be connected, how the, the, the route forward should go, but it's only for an instant. You can't keep it and, and print it out and have it in front of you as a roadmap. It is a flash. Wisdom is a flash. So taking that memory of wisdom, you start to walk forward because you remember, oh, there was nothing in my way right in front of me, but then I've got to turn left. Right? So you start to walk forward, and you're feeling around. In the darkness now, you're feeling like, okay, yep, there's that thing. I've got to go left. You go around. But as you're feeling out, as you're moving through the space physically, and through time, you're, un, you're starting to get, gain knowledge of the space around you, right? Wisdom, flash, knowledge, okay? Like if I close my eyes right now, I could probably navigate through this room. I'd still have to feel around, right? So you're going through, feeling around, bumping your toe, your knee, the side of your body, your hip, whatever. Maybe you're in your head. Oh, nope, that was there. Yeah, I remember seeing that. You're going through. You finally make it to the other side. What you now have on the other side 
is understanding. You've taken the flash of wisdom that you still remember, maybe vaguely, but it's still there. You have the knowledge of, of your path through this space and combine those together and you have understanding. Does that, does that have to make sense? How, what the difference between those three are? Yeah? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> To, to have knowledge is to have understanding or information about something, but to have wisdom is to have the ability to apply it, to apply that knowledge to a situation. That too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. These are these are very deep spiritual things, right? Dale, yeah, you have a question. In the middle of Proverbs one. Verse 20, wisdom calls aloud in the open air and raises her voice in the public places. She calls out at street corners and speaks out at entrances into city gates. How long, you, the, you who, whose lives have no purpose, will you love thoughtless living? How long will you scorners find pleasure in mocking? It sounds like knowledge is ready to be uh, taken hold of. Uh, it's, it's available... Uh, like a spiritual fountain, and when you take hold of it, then you can go to work with it like any tool. So uh, I thought that might help the definition. Mm-hmm. And that was Proverbs one. Proverbs one. Yeah. So I I, I agree with that. And what and the, the I think the most important thing to understand about wisdom is that wisdom is what helps us tie it all together. Wisdom is what helps us know what the knowledge is for, right? Because knowledge... Or, that, it's just in your head. And like you said, it, it helps it helps bring it into um, reality. Yeah, to apply it. Yeah, yes. Right, because if we didn't have that flash of wisdom in that scene, right, playing that out, if we didn't have that flash of wisdom, we could be, like, you know, take the, the, the story of the... the the men around an elephant who are blind, who are like, this is a rope. No, this is a hose. No, it's a tree, right? If they had all had flash of wisdom right beforehand, they would go up to it and they'd be able to tell which part of this bigger thing they're actually touching. So wisdom is what, was, is what ties it all together. It's the big picture. It's the, the common thread through which we can then attach the knowledge that we gain. Okay? Okay. Moving on. Um, uh, so uh, verse 4, but we will, we, the apostles, devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry or the di- diakonia of the word. That's teaching, ministry, serving, providing, etc. Verse 5, the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they, the whole congregation, chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parne- Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So the fact that he's called out as a proselyte means that he's the only one here who is a Gentile. The others are, are, are Hellenistic Jews because their, Hebrew, or their Greek names are given. Now, they're not the only Jews who have Greek names, but the fact that those names were given, the complaint arose from the Hellenistic Jews. It made sense to assign Hellenistic Jews to be this for, for all the people, Right. Kind of like how in any organization you go to your boss and you 
tell them a problem, a good boss will say, don't come to me with a problem, come to me with a solution, okay? So here is an example of the apostle saying, okay, you have the pro- you, you've come, with me, come to me with the problem, or us, you now are the solution, okay? Good organizational strategy. Verse 6, and these, they, the whole congregation, brought before the apostles, and after praying, they, the apostles, laid their hands on them. So here we see, similar to how I was talking about earlier, Parnas or Parnasim, these are people who are elected from the community, by the community, to serve in these kind of practical, business, administrative type of tasks. Here we see it was the congregation, it was the whole assembly, they had chosen these men. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So here, so yeah, so this first part is the problems of a growing community. Here's a problem, a type of problem and the solution that was presented and how it is we are to model that by delegation. This delegation is, is a very important uh, and useful tool for a healthy, thriving community. Okay, moving down and I've got five minutes <laughs> we'll see how, how I can do this. Um, let me find what the most important bit is in here. Um, so uh, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was repeatedly performing great wonders and signs among the people. Um, here we can see that Stephen wasn't confining himself to the work of a deacon. Um, he was a whirlwind of power, right? So he was just to be doing some administrative type of stuff, help feed the widows, and such uh, and such, but he was so full of power and of the spirit and wisdom and faith that he was doing more than that. Now, is that something to be uh, corrected? Nope. I think that's fine, <laughs> and, and so did they. Verse nine. But some men were from were from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, or the synagogue of the libertines, including both Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. Okay, two things I want to share with you, and then I think that will be enough for today. Stephen, in this, he seems to not have a very, it is like a, a, he's a a flash in a pan, right? He's just like this great, spirit-filled, wise, faithful man who does the task, and then some, he causes a stir, he comes before the Sanhedrin, and makes his case, and he's killed. Right? Like, it's, it's tragic. Is it not? It's like, why couldn't we have seen more from Stephen? And I, I, have a, I think I know why. It hit me this morning as I was getting ready. And it has to do with this synagogue of the freedmen. Jewish believers at that time felt no need to start new synagogues. Did you know that? They felt no need. They, they didn't feel, like we know that Yeshua didn't come to start a new religion, right? So none of his disciples felt, oh, we're so different from, all, from our Jewish brothers and sisters that we got to start this new synagogue. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't. There may have been a synagogue of the apostles, but that was more a, a matter of convenience because they needed to be the ones who were studying together and, and leading this community. That may have been the only unique 
Yeshua following people's synagogue. All the other disciples were still going to the synagogues they had been going to. Um, To meet with their fellow disciples, where did they go? To the temple. They went to the temple. That's where they met with the other disciples of Yeshua. And they had their place on Solomon's porch where they would gather and pray together. That's where they could be together as a large community. There was also the upper room, which is probably, if there was a synagogue of the apostles, that's probably where that would have been, was in the upper room. They could have met there, met there, but it didn't hold the thousands and thousands of people that were coming to faith in Yeshua. Now, the synagogue of the freedmen, the synagogue of the libertines. This was an elite, wealthy, Hellenistic Jewish synagogue in Jerusalem. The Hellenistic Jews were people who were coming from outside of Jerusalem who, from the Greek world. So they spoke Greek. They weren't culturally Greek. They were still culturally Jewish. But they had just a little bit enough, enough different about them, a different flavor about them that you could tell they were different. But they came, uh, they were, this uh, synagogue was formed by um, emancipated Roman slaves and their descendants. In the rabbinic literature, this synagogue goes by a couple other names. The synagogue of the Alexandrians. As we see here in the, in the verse, it says they came, they were from Cyrenians, Alexandrians, Cilicia, and Asia. So the synagogue of the Alexandrians and the synagogue of the Tarsians. Who's a Tarsian? Where's a Tarsian from? Tarsus, who was also a part of that synagogue, Saul of Tarsus. And at this time, was he a believer in Yeshua? No, no, he was not. I think Stephen, this great, powerful, spirit-filled, wise man, who was a part of this community, had, had influence, was performing signs and wonders, doing these things for a brief time. I think he was there for one man. Who? Saul. If I were to write a movie about Saul's life, Saul, or Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, when his face shone like an angel, as we'll see at the end of the verse, I think that was the moment where Saul's paradigm started to crack. Because Saul was a, he was a, a, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a very smart, powerful, willful, intelligent man who was passionate about doing the right thing as he saw it. But seeing Stephen, and, and, he was, and, and Saul was in this group of men who could not cope with Stephen's wisdom and the spirit about him. Couldn't cope with it. Couldn't, couldn't come against it. I think this is Saul's, the beginning of Saul's understanding, or his, his change happened here. And I think this is why. I think Stephen was here for Saul. Right?
verse 10. Um, and then we'll wrap up here in just a sec. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, they including Saul. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Secretly induced men to say. This is the, this is the beginning of false witness is when we, in private conversation, start talking about someone. This is why the, the, the laws of Lashon Hara are so important, how you talk about someone in private, even if what you're saying is true. Now, what they're, what they're saying here is not true, that he was uh, uh, against Moses and against God. That was not true. Stephen was not preaching or teaching against Moses and God. It was their subjective understanding of, of the teaching. They, they didn't know, they didn't have the wisdom of Yeshua to put it all together. But this is the beginning of false witness, is how we speak about others privately. And it almost always is meant to stir the prejudices of the people. Right? We have a belief about someone, we share that, and we may even say, you know, I probably shouldn't say this. But Da, 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 right? I mean, he's good. They're, they're a good person. Love them to death. God bless them. <laughs> God bless them, right? But da, 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 right? When we do that, I think that we're, we're, we're trying to get consensus. We're trying to get people to, we're trying to validate, okay, it's okay for me to then feel this way about a person. But, how, but that lead, that, that is a fire that just can't get put out. Verse 13, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man increasingly speaks against this holy place and the law. Of course, Stephen was not speaking against the holy place and the Torah. This is their subjective false characterization of what Stephen and the apostles were teaching. And not only was it putting Stephen under a microscope, it was also putting the Messianic community under the microscope too, the apostles. It was about, it was about all of them. And this is what false teachers do. This is what the enemy does. This is what... In our day and age, social media has provided a vast superhighway for, right? Is these little, little conversations that just blow up into something that is other than the truth. Verse 14, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Yeshua, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. This, uh, I think, goes back to um, something that Yeshua taught that could be misconstrued, and it's in John 4. 21, this is the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeshua said to her, believe me, woman, that, at a, time, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in where? Jerusalem. So he said that to her. Without context, she may have then gone and started telling people, hey, we're not going to have to worship in Jerusalem anymore. <gasps> right? So th- these, these things spread. So that may be what they're, what they're referring to. But they didn't have the context. They lacked the wisdom to see what was pl- tying it all together and that it was Yeshua. And then the last verse, 15, And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Exodus 34, 20, 20, 29 to 30. 34, 29 to 30, sorry. This is when Moses was coming down from the mountain. And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai 
And the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain. That Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to approach him. Again, this goes back to, I think, what God wanted Saul to see in these moments. They saw a man who, from our perspective, he didn't go up to Mount Sinai and bring down the tablets, but his face was shining like an angel, or, or face was like an angel. And we, we presume that that means that it was glowing, I think it's fair to say. So this micro example of this man who exemplified just about everything right for someone, for a man in the Messianic community, a believer of Yeshua, to have, it, have his, his presence there so quick, I really do believe was for Saul to see and for Saul to start coming to a better understanding of what these people were, what they were about, who this Yeshua was that led to his, his um, not conversion, but led to, his, led to the veil being lifted from his eyes in Acts 9 that we'll get to later. Okay, so just a few things. Be careful what you say about others in their absence. Uh, I'll give a, a little example of this. I'm not going to talk about someone in their absence, uh, but <laughs> can you believe that? No, that Brian Kima, man, he's, oh, he's not here. So. Um, there's, there's something that I did back in college that still haunts me that I have, I have forgiven myself for, but from time to time I look back on it and I'm just like, oh, man, why did I do that? And it was, I had, a, um, I had a roommate. We were sharing a house together with a couple other guys, and he was in the bathroom um, doing what you do in the bathroom. And um, I was with some, some mutual friends of ours, and I said something about him that I thought... I was saying to a group of people who agreed with me, I said, you know, I'm like, you know, he's, he's just kind of, you know, rude sometimes to people. We, we were doing, we did theater together. We did some musicals and plays together at a Christian college. And I said this thing, and it was, I, I thought it was obvious, right? And little did I know, and what this gentleman who I was talking about reminded me as he walked out of the bathroom was that the walls of this apartment were paper thin, paper thin. And we were in the room right next to the bathroom. And he walks out. And this is someone who I'd been friends with. We had chosen to live together, right? He walks out in his towel, and he just stands there looking at me and didn't have to say anything. And I knew exactly why he was looking at me. He looked at the other guys in the room and they're all just like, got to go. <laughs> you know. And they're just like, and I, just sinking feeling, right? Sinking feeling. And that haunts me to this day. This is someone who I could have had a lifelong relationship with. But I chose to share something that I wanted validation about, about this person. It wasn't something terrible. I was like, he's a murderer. You know? it, was, you know, it, was, it wasn't horrible. It was just, ah, oh, he's... He's kind of mean to people sometimes. Stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that. It leads to, it can lead to false witness. It can lead to the, it could have led to the destruction of his life. I don't know. I don't know. 
what, did I, what seed did I plant in those, friend, those mutual friends of ours? Did they now see him in a different light because of something I said? that Maybe it was true, maybe it wasn't. It was still evil speech. It's bad. So be careful. And then finally, just remember that there are no small roles in the community. There are no small roles. There's nothing... Now, aspiring to be an overseer is a good thing, but there are no small tasks in the community. We're to do all of them with excellence. We're to serve each other well with love and wisdom, full of the Spirit and in truth. All the things you see these seven men were qualified for to serve tables. The bar was high even for administrative stuff, right? So let's not forget that. Let's keep each other to a high standard as well. Okay? And you had something to say, Brandon? Um, it just reminded me, I forget who said this, but that evil speech destroys three people, the one oh, yeah. who hears it, yeah. um, and the one uh, who you're, you're speaking about, and then also the person the who says it. it. Yes, yeah, yes. Evil speech kills three people. The person speaking it, the person being spoken about, and the people listening, right? So as, as people who know people and who listen to things, also, not only should you not speak these things, but you should also not listen to these things either. If you hear someone starting to talk in a derogatory way in private, just go, up. Oh, I'll stop you right there. Let's not go there. Let's pray for this person or, or whatever. But have your guard up to protect not only yourself as the hearer, but the person who is about to speak and the person about whom speech is being spoke. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Yep. Any questions or comments? Yes, Melinda. When you got on the topic of, or when you mentioned Saul, I was thinking about reading here about Stephen, his being put to death. If you could read that passage, like 54 through 60, and then go back and study Saul's conversion, the heavens opening up, the voice, like you were just talking about, Stephen being there for to affect Saul, mm-hmm. but read specifically Stephen being put to death versus Saul's experience of the Lord on the way on the road to Damascus. It's very interesting drawing some parallels there. Oh, in Acts nine. Specifically, well, yeah, in Acts yep. nine. And specifically, it talks mm-hmm. about how Stephen looked up and his eyes were opened and he could see. And in that moment, when the sky was open for Paul, but he didn't see, and then he couldn't see. Like just right. some parallels there that are interesting. Yeah. To, to study. Yeah. To see how really those two things are connected. And we will do that when we get to nine. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But isn't that, and that, that, that was a flash of wisdom that I got this morning. I like, oh, this was for Paul. This was for Saul. We would have loved to have more Stephen. And I'm sure the community would have loved to have more Stephen too. But Paul needed to see this. Oh, isn't God good? Even though he put Stephen to death too soon, right, in our estimation. Isn't God good? Right? That's okay. But one thing I thought was really cool too was in the Torah portion this week, um, it talks about the punishment for a false witness Mm. and just how severe of a crime it is. Yeah. And the thing that you try to do to your brother if you're a false witness is the thing that shall be done to you. Right. And yet we see here um, these false witnesses come forward and that yet they still kill Stephen. And even at the crucifixion of Yeshua, all those false witnesses came forward and they were, were proven false, and yet they were just sent away. 
they were mm. never punished for what they tried to do to Yeshua. Mm. So, like, you can kind of see this, like, corruption in the Sanhedrin of the fact of they're not keeping the law. Mm. And, like, when, he, when uh, Stephen, at the very end of this, um, he, at chapter 7, what made them so upset is he said, you who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. They didn't mm-hmm. keep the Torah mm-hmm. by, by sending away false witnesses. They, they should have been punished. Mm-hmm. And so that's what like enraged them, and then they killed him, further not keeping the Torah. Mm-hmm. So it's just this severity of this false witness thing. Yeah, absolutely. So if you couldn't hear that, I know that some of the, some of the sound is coming through, but not a lot. This week's Torah portion talks about the, the weight and the punishment of uh, bearing false witness. And there are some parallels there that um, if I were allowed to go an hour and a half, we could have uh, talked about. But, <laughs> but check that out um, if you haven't already. And I'm sure some of you have already made that connection too. So, Okay, so we'll end it there. Um, we'll pick up Acts 7 on September 9th because next week we've got a guest teacher coming in to speak about fellowship which is the second of the four devotions in Acts 2.42, teaching the apostles, fellowship, breaking your bread in the prayers. We're on, we're on the second one. We've got a guest speaker coming in. And is that called koinonia? Fellowship? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Another, another Greek word. Another Greek word, right? Yeah. Can't get away from it. Who's the speaker? Um, the speaker is a, a friend of Beth Kuhn. Um, he's helped us out a lot. Um, his name is Tom Beaver. Tom Beaver, if anyone know him, anyone, you know him, I know him, you know him, yeah, great guy, he's coming in, he's going to talk about fellowship, so that should be good, and that'll be here, not in this room, we'll be out in the auditorium or the sanctuary, that's not an auditorium, it's a sanctuary, um, I've been corrected a few times for that, um, not by anyone in the room, but let me talk about this person who corrected me, no, just kidding, um, <laughs> So we'll do that next week, and then we got a tour service the week after that. Then week after that, we'll pick up with Acts 7 and, um, and move on from there. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, um, then we'll bless the kids, and then go, we'll bless the kids out in the sanctuary, and then go to the gym for owning. Father, thank you for today, for the Shabbat again, for opening up our eyes, for giving us flashes of wisdom that help us to tie together all the, the pieces that you have been feeding us, all of the, the information, the knowledge, the experiences we've had. Thank you for helping us see the bigger picture and how Yeshua is a thread through it all. Thank you for our children who are here with us, that, that they are these beautiful little sponges who are picking up things that we say uh, and that eventually they'll be able to make sense of them too and hopefully be our teachers in the process. Thank you again, Father, for today, for your Shabbat, for being in our presence uh, in a special way, for allowing us to do this and giving us such good examples in your word of how to be uh, the pillar and support of the truth in the world. We thank you, and it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.